Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Roxanne Weathers. And Roxanne, we're glad you came back. We're just so happy to have you with us today. I'm so happy to be here with you again. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's delightful. Well, we love talking scripture. It's we just, do. It's our favorite thing to do. Today we're going to be talking about Luke 12 through 17 and John 11. And kind of a theme, I mean, last week's theme was very much about truth and how to find truth and how to seek truth and how to live truth. Today we're going to talk a lot about physical loss, spiritual loss, emotional loss, and finding. You know, we have loss in our lives, but also how do we find it? And I was going to start with one of the parables. We're also going to be talking a lot about parables a again. A lot of parables. A lot of parables and how to use those parables in our own life. And the one parable we're going to start with is the parable of the beggar Lazarus. And let's not get him confused with another Lazarus that we're going to be talking about later as we discuss Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But this is a different, this is a beggar Lazarus. And the description of Lazarus just makes you so sad. I mean, he was laid at the gate, full of sores, and even he's just wanting to be fed from the crumbs of the table. I mean, that's all he wants. And the dogs would come and lick his sores. I mean, we're talking just the saddest person you can imagine, completely lost everything in terms of physical, spiritual, and even emotional, I'm sure. But then we also have Abraham. Well, he dies, and he's carried up by the angels to Abraham's bosom. But then there's also a rich man, and this rich man had gone by Lazarus, never gave him food, never gave him anything, never helped him in any way, even though he knew him, even though he saw him every day. And so he's in hell, and he lift up his eyes, being in torment, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. But the second half of this parable is even more interesting in that he, you know, he says, well, there's this great gulf. The Lord says there's this great gulf between you and Lazarus anyway. And so there's no way he can get to you. And so then this rich man says, well, I pray thee therefore, Father, Please, you know, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and and if he came back from the dead and testified to them that so that they won't have to come here to the place of torment. And as I was reading this, doesn't it sound to you a lot like the Christmas Carol, Dickens? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, somebody from ghost the dead, you know, the ghost of Marley, from... you know, Marley, go, Marley's ghost coming to so you're my saying brothers. The Lord said yes to someone. It just wasn't well, to the rich one. This one. <laughs> so this this rich man, you know, just is begging so his brothers won't have to be in torment like he is. And Abraham said, "They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them." And the rich man replies, and he says, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them 
from the dead. So if a ghost came to them, then they would repent. But this is the interesting point of the story. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So he's like, well, if he's not listening to the live people, sending him a dead person that's going to talk to him is not going to make a difference. So there's definitely this idea of lost and found in that we have Lazarus, who did not have anything, who lost everything in this life, but found everything in the life hereafter. And then we have the rich man, who the opposite, who had everything in this life, but lost it in the life hereafter. So I wanted to ask you, what experiences have you had about things being lost or things being found in your own life? So many. I actually loved that line where they said they wouldn't believe the angel, um, you know, if they don't believe the words the of the Lord. Person, right. And it reminds me, years ago, um, there was a woman who, oh, she was very upset with our branch president, and she would just go on and on. Every time you, she had a, a laundry list, you know, just go on and on and on. And she would just be like, oh, if only we could have a, a great branch president. And um, I said to my husband later, I said, you know, um, I I really wonder if there was a change. And Greg said, um, I think no matter who it was, she would find those holes. Right. And then he was called the next month as branch president. And we were very close friends. And within a couple of weeks, her laundry list began. <laughs> on your husband. <laughs> on Greg. On your husband. Who is like the teddy bear of Like <laughs> oh, the nicest, the sweetest. sweetest, well, sweetest the fact that he's married ever. to me for these years. <laughs> he is just so no, nice. he's sweet so. without even that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was it was shocking. So I do think that there is a, a thing where we have to understand we have to find the gospel through what we're given and not look beyond the mark and not look, or we will be lost. We will be lost. Yeah. And that's really true. Well, I shared last time that there was a really dark time in my life and that I lost my health and um, could not find any answers. And it was even difficult to feel the spirit it was difficult to feel hope. Uh, it was difficult to feel anything but despair and darkness all around. But I came up with a principle that I called the just show up principle. Mm -hmm. And I I just showed up for church. I just showed up for family prayer. I just showed up for family scripture study. I just showed up to pray with my husband. Even if I didn't feel like it, I would just show up. And I just showed up to do visiting teaching. I just showed up to do my calling. I just showed up. And a lot of the time, um, Dale had my sweet husband, who's also a teddy bear, <laughs> is going to be given sainthood just oh. because he's been my husband. <laughs> uh, he would have to listen for hours um, after Jewel would go to bed as I downloaded all of the heartache and all of the angst and how am I going to find answers and why isn't anyone helping and where is God? And a lot of really profound questions for me. And um, I feel really blessed because in just showing up, the answers did come. And they were small and simple. And they were just little ones all along the way. But he found ways to whisper to me, I am here. I am helping. 
I am aware and and I love you and you can make it through this. And I look back now, um, I wasn't able to get off the couch and I wasn't able to move and I just see how he has blessed me, not with what I wanted, but with what I needed so that I could have clarity of thought, so I could have enough energy to do things that I do enjoy and uh, just great blessings. And so even though I lost my health, then I was blessed with this idea of just keep showing up, Roxanne. And probably the first time that uh, that blessing came, just to give an example, was I remember distinctly it was a Sunday. I not want to go to church. Everything hurt. I was so confused and um, it was the primary program. And it was a new primary song I hadn't heard before. And they sang, he knows I will follow him. Mm. Give mm. all my love or life to him. And I thought, if he knows that, and I can trust in that until I know it. And just like little, simple, like it wasn't, I suddenly was healed or I suddenly had the energy I needed. But I had an answer that got me through till the next one and then the next one. And you found that answer. Yes. And I do think that that's something that I have seen and I think we're going to see throughout our discussion today that oftentimes we do have to go through a time of loss. Well, the sad thing is for Lazarus, it was his whole life. It was he didn't find it until the other side. Yeah. So and sometimes, sometimes we have to be that. on this side, but right. so, but it's a really depressing life. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes it does take an entire lifetime of loss in order for us to find in the life hereafter what the Lord has in store for us. And I think that's the hope that we can have during times of loss, right. that the Savior will help us to find. And he'll that. make up the difference. And, and he, he will, will make the difference. And don't you love President Holland's, or Elder, I should say, he was president of BYU when he was there. Mm-hmm. Elder Holland's, um, like a broken vessel, at the mm-hmm. end there when he says, I don't know who will have more joy. Those of us who have tried to help those who have been broken their whole lives, whether it's spiritual or physical or mental, or those who have struggled with it their whole lives. But he will yeah. work that miracle right. of healing. And he all that lost is with lost. healing in his ways. Yes. I love that All one. that lost will be restored. And that goes right along with this idea of parables that help us to understand some of this lost and found, and especially that parables help us to focus on things in our heart, which oftentimes it is in the heart that we find those eternal things that are most important. Yes. And so in Luke chapter 12, then, I loved this parable that really is an invitation to take our focus from the world and worldly things to then eternal things and how Jesus is continually inviting us to place our heart where our treasure really needs to be in eternity and to, to look forward to that time. And so we have to ask ourselves, where have I set my heart? And I think that it's great that we have so many parables that then 
help us to understand in different ways with different experiences where our heart might be and how we can change that focus from things that are in the world versus those things that are eternal. And he starts out with the parable of the foolish rich man. And I love that in Come, Follow Me, it said, why would the Lord be frustrated with someone who's working hard and storing up their food and seemingly (laughs) doing all these really good things, right? right? And so the appearance on the outside may look like we are doing good things, but it really is that heart that matters and where we have set our sights. And the two phrases that really struck me, the first one is in verse 15, And it says that he had an abundance of possessions. I think we all get that. Like, I have too many. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We moved three years ago, and I still have dozens of boxes that I haven't opened. And Mm -hmm. I just think, I just need to open it, go, nope, and get rid of it, right? Right. There's two, we we are a society of possessions, of, of having things, and things require more things. And so I think we do understand this and that if that's our focus, if that's what we desire most is to have these things, then we have our heart set on the wrong thing. And the man says, oh, I'm running out of room. Let me tear everything down, build something bigger, and then I can store more. So we just buy storage spaces, right? Right. (laughs) And put all all our things things. in (laughs) so we can get more things. And unfortunately, then he dies, and he can't take any of that with him. And then in verse 21, um, I just love this. So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase of being rich toward God. That really resonated with me as a description of having a focus on things that are eternal. And I wondered what that phrase, rich toward God, meant to you or could mean to you. When we were raising our children, we always talked about a trust account like a checking account and that everything you did kind of added to that trust account. And then we could trust you and you could get privileges based on that trust like a checking account. So I think it's have we made those deposits with the Lord, not in tithing, but in our behavior, in responding to his will, in, you know, doing the things we know that are right. And then our trust account, our checking account between the Lord kind of builds. So I think, too, it's a little bit different, though, because when we talk about being rich with the Lord, it is a kind of an account that we're doing. But on the other hand, it only takes one bad thing that takes out all of the trust, right? (laughs) And so we have to be careful because we have to keep that richness with the Lord constantly. We can't just say, well, you know, I I was a mission president and I was a bishop. and I was can't just put it in a savings account and leave it there. And and leave it there. I'm good. Exactly. (laughs) Instead, it is something that is constant. That we have so to you constantly just have a really high like in interest rate. I like to think of it more like a sieve. Oh, so it, a sieve mm-hmm. you can fill it up and it will be full. You'll have you know full for a while, right. but it it 
leeches. It goes right. out. And so instead, what you have to do is more like a sieve instead of a trust account. Instead, what you have to do is <laughs> I like you're constantly, I mean, I know. <laughs> you I have to constantly have. fill it up always or it's yeah. gone. And, and that's kind of oh, what happens with richness in the Lord. Yeah. And I, I love those ideas. They're not anything that came to my mind, but I think that they're both very beautiful and enriching in their own way that we do need to build that trust with the Lord and that we also then need to continually do those things that fill ourselves with goodness and with his light and truth. What I thought of was that richness to the Lord is what President Nelson is inviting us to do continually. And just thinking about a few of his invitations, really how they they enrich our relationship with him, how they make us focused on him rather than on the world to hear him, to, um, let's see, let him prevail, let God prevail in our lives, to be in the temple on a regular basis, and that our covenants are essential and important, and walking that covenant path, to make the Sabbath a sign between us and the Lord, and that our focus needs to be on Jesus, not on our circumstances, but on Jesus, and then to study how we pull that power of Jesus into our lives. And I'm just so grateful that he is teaching us in so many ways how to be rich in the Lord. And um, I also loved the questions that Sister Craig asked in the October 2020 conference where she said when she's trying to figure out what the Lord would have her do, she asks herself two questions. What am I doing that I should stop doing? And what am I not doing that I should start doing? And answering those two questions, I think, would really help us to be rich in the Lord and help us to do what he really hopes for us to do and to eliminate those things that put a barrier between us and him. And Elder Bednar, in his talk about the parable of the wedding feast, mm-hmm. um, he said, In the busyness of our daily lives and in the commotion of the contemporary world in which we live, we may be distracted from the eternal things that matter the most by making pleasure, prosperity, popularity, prominence our primary priorities. Our short-term preoccupation with the things of this world and the honors of men may lead us to forfeit our spiritual birthright for far less than a massive pottage. Oh, wow. And Jesus invites us to come to him and to enter into his kingdom, and that's the eternal thing that we need to focus on. Well, it is so important that we do focus our hearts on the Savior. But like you were talking about, it is sometimes looking at what do we need to lose and what do we need to gain. And that goes right along with a lot of the parables that is in this reading section. And I know, Christine, you have a lot of thoughts on being lost and found. Right. Well, in Luke um, chapter 15, there are three parables right in a row. And what is interesting to do is to look at the context of where they came from. So the Savior was, um, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear them. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eat with them. And then he tells these three 
parables, but these are publicans and sinners who chose to come to Christ. So they weren't just publicans and sinners. It is interesting when it comes to being unclean. So you couldn't touch a vessel the same time as someone else. So if you were touching something the same time as someone else, it made you unclean. You had to put it down, not touch it, and then they could pick it up. So to eat with someone would be very difficult, especially if you were to share a vessel would be inappropriate. You would be unclean like them. So that's where if you were living the law of the Pharisee, the overlaw, that's why they were like so horrified. So in response, he tells these three. The first one is of the lost sheep, which is really quite short. And he just says, you know, if a man having a hundred sheep lose one, does he not leave the 99 and go to the one that is lost? And, um, and then when you find it, you put it on your shoulders and bring it back, which is so sweet. And call your friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me for I have found this sheep who is lost. And Elder Uchtdorf did a whole talk on being held on your shoulders. And um, in it, he said, God will not rescue us against our will. So what must we do? Turn to him, come unto me, draw near to me. This is how we show that we want to be rescued. And I think of earlier when we talked about, if you're my sheep, that you hear my voice. And so you think of the shepherd when he goes out to go find the sheep, he's calling the sheep and calling the sheep, and the sheep responds. And so there does have to be that peace that we do. Well, and I love that vision that you just said that um, I was thinking about the sheep being on the shoulders of, of the good shepherd. And sheep, are they they can kick. You know, they can kick really yes. hard. And so if, if that little sheep, that lamb, doesn't want to be found— and doesn't want to go on your shoulders, you know, there's no way you're going to put him up there. Right. You know, I mean, he's going to kick your face. He's but going this to, one is you know, ready to come home. But this one's ready to come home and is willing to be submit submit mm. himself to be put up there. Right. Which is right. Amazing. So that idea that, but I, um, I love this. So we have a nephew who's on his mission, Elder Miles Romero, mm-hmm. and he um, sends beautiful weekly letters. His letters are just... They are beautiful. They are. They're gorgeous and mm-hmm. smart. But he sent one last night as I was you know, going over what I was going to say. It popped up and I was like, oh, and it was just on the same idea. And he had said how he went to a missionary training and it really touched him. And, and the mission president drew two circles on the board, a small circle that he said is filled with dark and a big circle that's filled with light. And the small circle, he said, we can live in this dark circle when we focus on ourselves and our own issues. And when we look at ourselves and think, why am I here? Why is the Lord making this so hard? Why am I being abandoned? Why am I stuck with this companion? Why is no one sp- you know, listening right. to me, listening and, to the message? <laughs> when we go there, we just become lost. Yeah. Or we can look to the Lord and our whole body is filled with light. And everything becomes light. And Miles said, I didn't know why that was so important to me. But a little later, transfers were coming up. And I was really enjoying the area I was in. And I had a lot of good people I was teaching. And I started to get worried I was going to be transferred. And he said he was getting, like, anxiety about it. And he was like, why do I need to be transferred? I love these people. I'm teaching them. So nervous. And um, and then he realized he was living in the, in dark, the dark circle. Dark. Mm-hmm. And he said once he turned to the Lord and said, 
I'm here to serve him. There'll be other people I can touch. If I move somewhere else, there'll be other people that can touch these people. I'm part of something much bigger than myself. Then he said the difference was huge. And I thought of that poor sheep. The reason why sheep get lost is because they're not watching the other sheep. Right. <laughs> they're just involved in their own thing. So anyway, I loved that story. The second one um, is, is a really short. It's just like two verses. It's just 8 through 10 of 15, Luke 15. And it's about the woman that has 10 um, coins of silver and loses one. And this is the part that I loved. When she realizes she loses it, she, number one, lights a candle. Number two, sweeps up. And number three, seeks diligently until it's found. And then she calls all her friends and neighbors and says, aren't we so happy I found it? I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful. So I love that one too, because I think that that is such a pattern for when we've lost even parts of our own testimony, Right. we light a candle. And how do you think lighting a candle? Mm -hmm. You know, you can increase the way that you turn to the Lord. You increase your temple attendance. You read the scriptures more. You pray harder. Then you sweep. You clean up those corners. And then the last one is you have to keep going. You seek and try until you found it. Well, and also realize that that women in that society were not given property. But at the time of marriage, she would have been given a dowry. dowry. And it was her dowry that she was losing. And so I think about that in terms of this idea. It it would have meant if I can't find that, then if my husband dies or something happens, this this is what's going to keep to me going me. to save my right. life. Mm. And so I think that makes it that even more. That it was more, significant. I mean, it was a woman. If, if we, we wow. think about this as women today, we'd be like, well, great. She lost a dollar. You no, know, what, but it so isn't. It's, it's a piece not. of silver. It's life and, and it's, yes. But it's also a dowry in right. that it's her endowment. And I think a lot of that, too. Oh, wow. Think about our testimony or... You know, and the different covenants, covenants right. that we've made at and the temple. And sometimes we could and lose a covenant. I mean, exactly. we can just... We've got to anyway. find it. Turn on the That's light. true. And sweep. Sweeping is the part that I need yeah. to set get, right. Get rid of the, <laughs> get rid yes. of the dirt. Get rid <laughs> of the, the dirt. dirt. And, um, and then the last one, of course, we know is the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, um, we've heard it so many times, but a man has two sons. And the one son right away says, give me my inheritance I want to go play. And he goes out and wastes it all on riotous living. And then um, there's a famine. And I never realized if there hadn't been a famine, he probably wouldn't would have, have had more around. fun. <laughs> he would have just kept on having out. fun. <laughs> but because of the famine, there was nothing to eat. So he gets a job taking care of pigs. And it is funny when they say the husks that he thinks of eating the pig's food, the husks, if you look down in the notes, it was carob it was chocolate so he's thinking about eating chocolate because he's depressed no just kidding but it it made me laugh and then um but he realizes that he's starving and so of course he says my father's servants would be treated better and he goes back home and his father sees him from a way off (laughs) falls on his neck sorry (laughs) kisses him and brings him back in and then we know the second brother is like what you never killed a fatted calf for me. You never gave me a party. And I've been working this whole time. And of course, um, the father says, um, but you have everything. Right. You have all that's around you. And this brother has been lost and now is found. And that great joy. Um, 
that's in the kingdom of heaven. Um, Holland said um, that in a world that constantly compares, that it's easy to believe divine love does the same thing. And he talked about how the thou shalt not commandment stop us from hurting someone else, but not to covet stops us from hurting ourselves because we're the ones that are hurt when we start comparing. When you think, how come they're so blessed and I'm not? Or how come they can go off and spend all this time doing what I wish I could do, but I don't because I'm trying to be good. And then they still get the blessing in the end. It doesn't seem fair, but yeah. life isn't fair and your parents don't know everything. That's the, that's, that's the whole point. <laughs> the yeah, Lord loves right, you right. all no matter Is what. Is that the same talk where he says, let's just all go suck on a pickle? I think. <laughs> a little I love that. <laughs> You know, it. if we're going to covet, if we're going to I know, get stuck in right. we're going to get stuck in it. You, know, you might as well suck go on a suck on a pickle. I know, that's all there is to it. Yeah. So um, the last thing I wanted to ask was, so what is the same about all three of those parables? Do you notice anything the same at the end? I'll even give you at the end. Well, there's the rejoicing. Rejoicing. Having everyone together. Happy. Isn't that yes. funny how the party is yeah. such a big deal and yeah. everyone. And why do you think it's so important that we rejoice when people have returned? Because it's such an amazing thing for them, for us. Our lives are going to be richer, but we know that also theirs will be richer too. You know, I also think a lot about how, I, I mean, we've lost both of our parents. And and I think sometimes that's been a huge loss in my life. And when they are found, when I get to see them on the other side, I think of the rejoicing that I will feel. But that should not be any more rejoicing than I feel for those who have left the church or those who have never found the church, and that when we give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and they come back to covenants, when they come back to the fold, as we were talking about the Good Shepherd, I think our rejoicing should be the same in terms of how much how happy we are as our brothers and sisters coming back and understanding the covenants that they need to be with us eternally as an eternal family. Okay, so... That is so, I love when you guys come up with totally different answers. Than <laughs> Thank you. Because I was thinking that the thing that so often makes us lost is that we're not given focus, is that we leave because no one's noticing us. Mm-hmm. And so part of they come back to the fold, but then having this rejoicing connects you and holds you in that idea that Zion, oh, I love that. whereas one heart and one mind, and that it's important that when people come back that our hearts are knit together yeah. with love. And so having that outpouring of love and being aware of those corners, and once they come, being so thrilled to see them and letting them feel the love of the Savior through us, that it's not just something ethereal, but it's something in reality has power. In holding them. I, I love that because we would teach our missionaries that they had to have help new converts to the church have two conversions. They had to have a spiritual conversion, but they also had to have a social conversion. That's and true. that social yeah. conversion was the fact that they felt like they were part of the family of Christ. And if they didn't feel that, if they didn't have that rejoicing, then they wouldn't usually last very long in the ward or the branch in terms of 
feeling that love that you're talking about, that rejoicing mm-hmm. that they came. And I love Sister Alberto's talk where he, she said, we are the church. We are the church. And just the way that, that she described it, that each individual member, she felt embraced and rejoiced over as she came into the church. And we all need to do that for each other. And it really is true. Because even as a lifetime member, they're like I remember one time when I I felt like I was that, like I had always been the ninety nine, mm-hmm. and and I just announced to my parents, "Okay, I'm done. Like I want to see what it's like to be the one <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't show up and isn't good and doesn't do everything." And I had a wonderful young woman's leader who who came, came to you. my door <laughs> came to my door and and spent time talking to me and then said well, we really need you because of this, and we really appreciate this. And all of a sudden, it shifted, and I felt like I belonged, that I had a part. And don't we all want that? Don't we, we all, all do. For that? And I do think each of us are so different because we have the ability to connect. I'm crying again. We have the ability to connect to someone that other people may not. This is true. And so as, as they call all the friends and neighbors, it's because there's going to be one that, that's for you. That you know that you connect, that you learn from, that you connect with, and so I do think being there. Although I do have to say, there's one man in our ward, and every Sunday he stands at the door. It's not his calling; it just is who he is, and he says hello to everyone by name. So if he doesn't know your name, he'll learn it, and he's just so consistent. And without him there, the days that he's not feeling well. You just are like, whoa, it's like I'm not at church because there's not Brother Saunders shaking everyone's hands, yeah. saying my name. So um, I do think there's real power in that being found. Well, along with that, we have another really difficult parable, and it's the parable <laughs> of the unjust stewards. <laughs> I got the hard one. It is hard. And it's interesting to me because oftentimes you read it and you go, huh? Why, you know, why is this put in here? But I'm hoping by the time we finish this discussion, I, I've gained a great understanding of why this is in the scriptures and what we're supposed to learn from it. Isn't that the wonderful thing about parables? It is. Yeah, it so is. And that it can, exactly, so, like many layers, so many layers. I know. So many layers. And so basically, this is the parable. It's found in Luke 16, the very beginning of Luke 16, 1 through 12. And so there was a, a rich man who had a steward, and this steward was accused of wasting the rich man's goods. Now, we d- aren't given much more than that description, but the, the steward is worried, and he's like, oh, no, I'm about to lose my job. What's going to happen to me? And so he said within himself, what shall I do? And he goes, well, I don't want to dig, and I don't want to beg, so I've got to figure this out and make sure that somebody else is going to want to hire me. <laughs> and so he calls every one of the Lord's debtors, and they all come unto him, and he asks them, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And so the first debtor says, an hundred measures of oil. And he says, well, quickly, you know, take the bill and sit down and write 50. So he owed a hundred, and now he's saying, Write down 50. (laughs) And then another comes to him and he says, well, how much do you owe? And he said, well, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, well, 
take the bill and quickly write down four score, which would be 80. And then this is the interesting part. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, this is kind of interesting to me. I mean, as you're reading that, you're going, huh? And then why would the Lord say you did right? Now, there's it two... cost him money. Yeah, because it cost him money. <laughs> and that know, doesn't make weird, sense. Weird story. Right. Yeah. So there's two different interpretations that were a little bit of an eye-opener for me. The first one is found in Jesus the Christ by Elder Talmadge. And he explained his ideas of what we should learn from this parable. He said, Be diligent, for the day in which you can use your earthly riches will soon pass. Take a lesson from even dishonest and evil people. If they are so prudent as to provide for their only future they think of, how much more should you, who believe in an eternal future, provide therefore? So he's saying, you know, this steward was was evil. You know, he, he was an unjust, morally corrupt steward, but he also understood that he needed to do something to take care of himself physically. And then he's, then Elder Talmud says, if you have not learned wisdom and prudence in the use of unrighteous mammon, how can you be trusted with the more enduring riches? Hmm. Now, I thought that was very interesting, and I liked that interpretation. But I found another one that, in many ways for me, even made more sense. And that is by Elder Sung Ting Yang, who was in Area Authority 70. And he brought up that in Jesus's time, the owners sometimes overcharged their debtors. And so the steward, as an unjust steward, he might have been unjust with the debtors so that he was the one that was overcharging them. So when they came and he was basically at that point making them become just once more, you know, really what they owed. Right. Um, and so it could be that he was actually returning the debts to the original amounts where they should have been. This approach would have satisfied the rich man and gained the favor of the debtors, doing both at the same time. And if you notice, he says, the Lord, meaning small l, <laughs> not the Lord, meaning a top, right. you know, a, a capital L. Right. Right. So for, uh, and so this for me is really interesting because the Lord, the rich man said, you did wisely, but the Lord still calls him unjust or morally wrong. And so we need to realize that the Lord, meaning the savior, wasn't saying this unjust steward was a righteous guy. But he's saying what we can learn, and that is goes with the comments after. And so the comments after that the Savior uses is first, he said, first we can learn that those who are spiritually strong need to give proper attention to the temporal affairs in our lives. And the Lord says, basically right after this in Luke 16, 8, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And the reason why they're wiser is because they're taking care of their temporal things. And so us as children of light, we need to learn from, you know, children of, you know, this world. The next one is, when possible, the righteous should be friends, not enemies, with people in positions of authority or wealth. For someday those friends may assist the righteous and the kingdom of God. 
Now that goes with the Savior saying, make make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. I love that. So the fact that I, so I interesting. think of, of wealthy people who have helped the church over the time. Sometimes they don't even join the church, but through their wealth, through their the, the many things and honors of men that they have, that they have helped the church through difficult times. And the humanitarian arm of the church exactly. works with so many, not that they're evil or wicked or no. anything, but they're just not of our church. But it, it, it empowers us to then, as members, to put our little drop in, and then the church takes that and adds it to so many other drops. And these people that already have the connections all throughout the world, it just is amazing to me how they make those there. kinds of connections. And mm -hmm. you see it with President Nelson and his connections in China and what he was willing to do just learning the Chinese language and then going there to teach them. Definitely. Uh, they, we can be friends. That's true. We and really can. He goes through two others. The, the next one, those who wisely manage their temporal affairs are more likely to also wisely manage their spiritual affairs. And I think that is really true. When we look at our general authorities and our, especially our apostles, many of them did very well in terms of the world. You know, they, they were CEOs and they, you know, they had accomplished a lot from a worldly standard. Our dear President Nelson was one of those in terms of his ability to do things well in the world. And so he said, he that is faithful, this is the Savior talking, in that which is least is faithful also in much. And then finally, he says, obedience to God is much more important than making money. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I do think it's significant that right after this parable is that you can't serve two masters. Exactly. So even though we can be friends with people of all different kinds, even though we can learn from their wisdom and their prudence, it's important that we're serving God, that you're not loving money, but you're being responsible with it, which is hard on me. I'm not very... <laughs> well, and and realize, too, like I said, we have to read it as a whole. Right. This parable is given just before the Lazarus and the rich man parable. I mean, literally, that second parable so all is given money. right after. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he basically says this about the unjust steward, but then as a second witness mm -hmm. about being careful with God and mammon and making sure you have it right... He tells the story right. of Lazarus and the rich man. And being very aware that Lazarus is the one that made it, not the rich man. Exactly. So it's, not even a question. You don't have question. to have anything. If you don't, <laughs> if the Lord hasn't given you wealth, if you're one of the ones that only had the one talent yes. and not the... Name, you'll, you'll be the one in okay. Abraham's, Abraham's bosom, <laughs> it's where not the rich is, man. Like it is. Exactly. Right, it is. Yeah. But well, we still learn. And that goes with the 10 lepers. I mean, I think of, as we talk about... People who have nothing, I always think of the lepers, especially during okay. that period of time. So that was awful. I have heard the story of the 10 lepers a million times. And I did not think I was going to learn anything new. And I did. Well, so I'm, good. I, <laughs> I'm glad. So we know um, they stood afar off and, and called to Christ from afar off, um, have mercy on us. And then Christ said, go show yourself to the priest it's not shoe, it's show. So Got show it. like so. Yeah. So show Got yourself it. to the priest. And as they were going, they were healed on the way. 
and one immediately fell or, or glorified God and was right. so grateful and then ran back to Christ, fell at his feet and showed his thanksgiving. And that's when um, Christ said, you know, weren't there 10 healed? Where's yeah, the other nine? The nine? And they could not be found. And he says, because thy, um, thy faith hath made thee whole. But the shocker was that he was a Samaritan. So he wouldn't have had to go to the priest to show yeah, himself so he could be admitted back into his group of people, because that's not what they did. Mm -hmm. So he was obeying, even though it wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. The other ones would have had to. But isn't that interesting to think of that willing heart? Whatever the Lord says, even if it doesn't apply to me, <laughs> I'll go I'm and do it. Do that. Had you realized and that? And a grateful, no. That and was a, like and a, a grateful shock heart. for me. Right. I, that little line, he was a Samaritan. He wouldn't have done that. But, um, but the thing is, we talk about the difference between the healing of the of the leprosy and that his faith had made him whole. So there was obviously a difference between this and that. And um, well, it's a different what do you kind think of is the healing. different? What is the difference in that healing? Well, it's a different kind of healing. I mean, because we can be made whole physically, but we also need to be made whole spiritually. Right. And so I think the fact that he was grateful, the fact that he was faithful, the fact that you know, he was the one that came back and worshipped right. the Savior. I love that. That, that those, those are the things that made him whole, a complete. Mm -hmm. And we talked about teleos before and perfection and how that is when we achieve wholeness. Right. right. And so that's, you know, his Absolutely. actions have made him whole. Well, and, and I, oh, I, love, I love that it's gratitude and that it's humility and that willingness that I you love pointed that. out. And that gratitude and humility are so connected. connected. And there are also qualities of Jesus Christ. Like I've heard you talk about preach my gospel and mm -hmm. that chapter six is so lovely. And that's what's going to make us whole mm -hmm. as we become more like Jesus, as we take on the qualities of our Savior, of our eternal parents, as we try to become more eternal in nature rather than just mortal because we are our very mortal. We're very natural. That's man. true. And the whole and the healing, I think that the Savior took every opportunity to point out that more spiritual part of the healing mm -hmm. with the woman who touched his garment mm -hmm. with this man. Right, that he called her back and they right. completed the healing. And, and just said, That's true. you're becoming whole. Right. You're becoming, That's this beautiful. is deepening for you. It's going deep into your soul and you are changing, not only on the outside, but on the inside. Well, I have an experience that was shocking to me that really taught me how gratitude can heal you. And it was it was a bad day. So anyway, you get it anyway. But we were in Texas, and um, my husband had gotten a new job that paid three times as much as that job he had. And we had um, all seven of our little ones. The baby was just a year old. And um, we were living in a house. And because of the job, we decided to sell the house. And the minute we put up the sign to sell the house... Um, somebody saw us putting up the sign and bought it. But the deal was if they wanted it, they needed it like immediately because they would be out by the end of the month. So we had a week to move if they wow. bought it. And it was in Dallas during that time when everybody was fleeing Dallas. So to have someone buy our house was, was shocking. Right. So there was a house right across the street from Catherine, our other sister, that just came open at that same time. And it was miraculous that we could move right in there. So it was just like everything was working to our good. 
So we are quickly, within a week, trying to get this whole house. And I had a whole barn full of junk. And I can't tell you I'm not as organized as Mariana. So it was just harrowing. So I actually stuck all of each child had their own little dresser. And we put all their clothes on one dresser. And then we put them all on this open trailer that we rented from U-Haul. And when we started packing that morning, the sun was shining. But it's Texas. So by the time we finished... <laughs> oh, dear. It had started to just dribble, and we were like, it's only a half an hour, we can make it. But I had to pick up the dog at the groomers, and I had two little errands I had to run, and then I was going to meet him there. And all the children were um, crying and hungry, and I was like, they can go another little while, because I was going to drive the other car and then do those errands. And he said, why don't you take the trailer with the truck, and I'll take the um, children and go feed them and then bring them to the house, and we'll meet. So I said, well, and as we were getting ready to go, one of the kids, one of the older children said, oh, I forgot to bring out my my dresser. And so after everything else was packed, he brings out his little dresser with everything he was supposed to. And so Greg just sticks it on and puts one rope around it. And I said, that is not going to stay. Right. Because like, it's only half an hour. Just deal. It's fine. The children are all crying. Okay. We're good. So I start driving and it starts to rain. And everything's going bad and it's starting to rain harder and harder. And sure enough, that dresser falls, falls off. off the back <laughs> and smashes open and the clothes go everywhere. Oh. And it's the only thing this little boy owns. Right. So if I don't get it, you know, like no, he's, he's got his be... stuffed animals, right. he's got everything, right. his little Legos. So pouring rain in the middle of a busy street, I am dodging between cars, picking up Legos. <laughs> it was so bad. And I am cursing my husband oh, the no. whole time. I'm just like, I told him this was going to happen. How dare he? I was so angry. I was so, well, man, you have way too many stories of me being upset. But I was really frustrated. So I get back in the car and the weather is getting as violent as I am. So I'm driving back and everything in the back, we didn't cover it with a tarp. And I told my husband we should. And he's like, it's a half an hour. Right. It's sunny, but it wasn't. And as I'm driving, the car is like the wind is blowing so hard. And I thought, this is just like that hymn. When upon life's billows you, you are, are tempest tossed, <laughs> when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. And then I couldn't remember what the next line was. And I sat there going, what is that next line? And I'm driving and driving and thinking, what is the next line? And then it hit me. You know After what it many is. blessings, <laughs> name them one by one. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, I will try. And I started going through the miraculous sale of our house, this wonderful new opportunity. My sweet husband, who loved the children so much, he wanted to go feed them rather than drive this car. <laughs> you know, and I went through everything wonderful. And by the time I pulled up, everything was still wet. But I was so grateful. I was grateful for where we were moving. I was grateful for my beautiful children that I like. I was just grateful and happy. And I felt that healing that gratitude can bring. And it truly can when we are challenged. Gratitude has a way of healing us. I love that. So have what you guys had that? What a beautiful story. Yes. I love that. We it should was all sing day. when upon life billows. <laughs> when you're really grumpy. Right. right. But um, but I did want to say I looked again at do you remember in 2020 when the prophet sent out that little video and it was called Gratitude Um Heals Us, I think. Yes. And he um at Thanksgiving. Yes. yes. 
Yes. And he said, no matter our situation, showing gratitude for our privileges is a fast-acting and long-lasting spiritual prescription. Um, does it spare us from sorrow, sadness, grief, and pain? No, but it does soothe our feelings and it provides greater perspective in the purpose and joy of life. And that's, it's all about perspective. It's all about understanding. Well, do you remember after that, he asked everybody to go on social media and to write things that they were thankful for and how it changed. I mean, this is people that were members of the church, but also people that weren't members of the church and how just everybody commented, yes. right, how it just changed their thoughts well, and feelings. I absolutely agree. And I do have to say, we are in the dog days of winter. Are you so tired of snow? Oh, I, I am. <laughs> I, maybe if I was much younger and liked skiing, it would be different. But <laughs> I do think that if the weather gets you down, writing the things you're grateful for and still putting them on social media is a good plan. It, it is. is a good plan. So any day plan. you're grumpy or the weather gets you down or something else, to turn to gratitude and having it make you whole is a Absolutely. true principle. It is. Well, and as we talk about making you whole, we also have the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. From the dead. And, and talk, you know, bringing him back to life. That's that's pretty much a powerful story. A powerful story. Yes. And I love in the in the Come Follow Me manual that it talks about this being a witness of Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life. And in the heading, it tells us that there are five who bear this testimony, as is Jesus himself, Mary and Martha, Lazarus by being raised, right. and then also, um, I always say Caiaphas. They pronounce mm -hmm. it differently, mm -hmm. but... Mm -hmm. um, Caiaphas? You mean the Caiaphas. evil high priest yes. that we want to just... Yes. Anyway, I do not Because of his yes. office as high priest, the Spirit moved upon him, and he testified that Jesus would be the sacrifice of one to save many. Right. And wow. I... Save the nation. Yeah. He said sacrificing one to save wow. the whole nation. The whole nation. And um, so for me, this is such a beautiful focus to take on this, this chapter, to recognize that this was to witness that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And uh, I just thought that in these days of turmoil and strife, I feel that our prophets, seers, and revelators are inviting us to strengthen our own faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life, that they are offering us hope um, through Jesus Christ and the promise of that eternal life. And I just love, when I think of eternal life, I don't think of it as life lasting forever. Eternal means God's. Mm -hmm life and we get all that he has and we can't even comprehend those blessings and to find hope in that and that through Jesus Christ that promise will be fulfilled and then to come to know the great gift God gave us in sending his son to save us um, not only from death but also from our sins mm -hmm. and from the things that we lose and the sorrows that we feel which we'll see for Mary and Martha are very real in this experience. And I just love that at the center of this witness of Jesus Christ as the Savior and Redeemer as the resurrection and the life is this little family of three. Mm -hmm. And that they are those things that they know 
about themselves those things that President Nelson has asked us to know. They are covenant keepers. They are disciples of Jesus Christ, and they understand that they are children of God. And um, I love that they they sort of have a triptych. And we've already, you've already talked about Mary and Martha at the feet of Jesus, and that there will be one in the next chapter, mm-hmm. again in the home of Mary. And um, and I just think that it is so important to understand that they're not these flat people. They are whole mm-hmm. and complete and in the process as each of us are. And I I love looking at the whole of the triptych together. So I just, an invitation is to read all three of the stories mm-hmm. together to I see what you that. learned. But um, one of the things that I learned at this time was that Jesus, in talking to his disciples when they first hear that Lazarus is dead, he says to them in verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And I love words, and I love to understand words better. Oftentimes, I think I know what they mean, but if I look at them just a little bit differently. And so the footnote um, for that verse sent me to either chapter 12, verse 4. And I found five steps in this that I really feel like Mary and Martha have gone through and continue to go through to be able to glorify the Lord in the end. And in Ether, he says, Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world. And I see those two things that Mary and Martha have those firmly established in their lives. Mm-hmm. That they believe in God and in everything that they expect, express, there is this surety and this hope in the resurrection, in the life that is to come. Yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men. And you think about when you need an anchor, right? It's in those storms. <laughs> the tempest right? tossed. Yeah. And, and you need that anchor, and they are in the middle of one of those kinds of experiences. And they come to understand that it can make them sure and steadfast and also abounding in good works. And then they are led to glorify God. And I just love that that little understanding. And then there's a little vignette where his where he announces he's going to Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. His apostles and the disciples know that the leaders of the Jews want his life and they're very concerned for him for him, very protective of him. And when Jesus shows that he's determined to go. It is Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That we Doubting call, Thomas. call Doubting right. Thomas, oh. who stands up and he says, um, in verse 16, he says unto his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. And again, I just think it's so important oh. that we don't Judge. flatten mm-hmm. to one experience. Thank you. And Thank you. That, that this is... One of my daughters, she served in the Italy Rome Mission in the Temple Visitor Center there, and she studied the lives of all the apostles. And this is one of her favorite insights about Thomas that she shared with us. Nice. That he was brave, he was courageous, he, he was brave. willing mm-hmm. to go with the Savior at this very moment. So then let's go to Mary and Martha. And it says, I, 
we've been talking about the setting and understanding the setting. And we, you've shared with me how you see this, and I see it a little bit differently. I and I hope that's that you okay. will share with no, us how it. you see it. But um, in verse 19, it tells us that many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And so their house is full. It's just many full people. of people. And so then in verse 20, it says, And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Now, this is Martha's home. And so whoever is bringing the message is going to find a Martha. And I don't think that Mary heard. Maybe not. And where Mary is, is that she is sitting still in the house. And I don't think that means that she's remaining. I don't think that she's not going to where Jesus is. I think there's all these people who are mourning with her, and she's just in that grief. Mm-hmm. She's just in that dark. She's just in that so moment. So interesting to me, yeah. too, because I think of Martha's censure before that Mary had chosen the better part. But it's and not so, the better. Do you know that? It's the good. It's the good oh, part. Oh, the good, good part. part. The good so there's part. no Oh, you're comparison. right. There's no comparison. We just talked about mm-hmm. no comparison. But I was going to say it's just interesting to me that she runs out, and you're thinking, I, I keep on thinking, she's thinking, I'm going to... Get there. I'm going <laughs> to. But I think she also loved him. But I do. Just I loved him. Yeah. Well, and she had been sitting with and Mary. Right. She may have known. She may have been, you know, up and at the door. And, and at the, the door. first one told. Right. And, and I think how many days had they waited? How many days had they right. anticipated his coming? Right. Even longer than that because it was. Oh, with him being sick. With him being sick. It was true. even longer. Right. Just and and so Mary, Martha approaches him, and the first words out of her mouth are, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mm-hmm. And these are the exact same words that Mary speaks to Jesus. It's true. There's and I wonder there. how many times in all of those days of waiting, oh, if the Savior will just come, he won't die. And then even after, if he'd been here, he didn't have to die. And then if all of these times that Mary, Martha expresses what she knows, right? Because she uses that word, I know. And she says, I know that you have the power. I know that there will be a resurrection. I know that you are the Christ. And how many times they shared that same witness with each other and strengthened each other in their home and in their grief after Lazarus died. And this opens up the opportunity then for Jesus to bear his witness where he says, I am, right? That first Mm -hmm. name, right? I am. And then he gives a second name, the resurrection, right? And then a third, the life. And then the great promise, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then the question that's for all of us, believest thou this? And Martha, she, I, you know, I almost hear the man who took his son to the Savior and the Lord to ask him the same question. And he said, Lord, help thou my unbelief. 
And I kind of hear that echoed I love in, that. In, in Martha. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which had come unto the world. And then she runs to Mary. All of a sudden she's realized, oh, well, my sister isn't here. <laughs> yeah, sister. And she needs this reassurance. Oh, she needs this hope. That's right. And so she runs to find Mary. And the instant that she finds her, she takes her in secret mm-hmm. and whispers this to her. I love it. And Mary leaves instantaneously. Now that she knows that Jesus is here and falls down at his feet where she had been before, taking in his words and utters those same words. Mm-hmm. If thou had been here, our brother had not died. And when she's, when the, the Savior sees her weeping, um, it says that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And I looked up this word groaned, and in Hebrew it means to mourn, to sigh to sorrow. And I just see this beautiful moment where that covenant that we all enter into, that covenantal relationship is being shown to us that the Savior really does also do the same for us. He He mourns mourns with us. He runs to succor us, to help us in those moments when we are most lost, when we are most struggling when the grief is overwhelming, when our belief is in the doctrine, our belief is in the truths, but it hasn't really sunk deep enough for us to understand the miracle that's coming. Mm. And um, and so then he um, he asks them simply, where is the place that you buried him? And I can just imagine him walking with them and weeping with them. Uh, the Jews seem to be very skeptical. I, I hear the doubt in their answer. Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Like they're they're critical, they're comparing. Right. But Mary and Martha are leaning on him. They're weeping with him. They're walking to the grave. And then that moment where he says, take away the stone. And again, Martha, like... Help thou my unbelief, Savior. Uh, he's been dead for four days. Our our tradition, our knowledge is his body has gone so, I mean, his spirit has gone so far from his body, he can't come back. And so this is the beauty of this miracle, isn't it? The first raising someone from the dead was just minutes. The second right. was one on the way to mm-hmm. the tomb with the widow of Maine. So the first was the daughter of Jairus, right. the second was on the way to the tomb. But this, everyone has this belief. No, it's too late. And three days is something because right. the belly of Jonah, and he's right. talked about three days, but this is four, four days. He takes so this is even further. more than that right. prophecy. Yes, it's profound in that. And Jesus very lovingly says to her, said, I not unto thee, that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. Oh, mm-hmm. That anchor, that steadfastness, that hope. Mm-hmm. And so they say, okay, let's step one more time into this place where we don't know. Let's step one more time into our faith, into our belief in Jesus. And they ask for the stone to be rolled away. And then Jesus calls Lazarus to come forth. And he does. And can you just, like we talked about, the celebration. 
Oh, right. After founding, finding the lost. Can oh, you happy. imagine the happiness and the joy of Mary and Martha and Jesus and just their joy at this beautiful miracle? And then to be able to gather a few days later, not days, but a while later together again in Mary's home. And just the beauty of, of their faith, of their hope in Jesus, that even when it seemed impossible, they still had, they still had that and that they would, they, they would cling to him, that they would cling to that faith and that hope. They would, they would strengthen each other, that they would help each other and that they would turn to the Savior one oh, more time. That is so beautiful. And as we conclude this wonderful discussion, I I have thought so much about this finding and losing. And obviously Mary and Martha losing their brother and realize as as two women, that would have been devastating for them and in every physical, spiritual, emotional way possible. And yet that hope that the Savior brings to us. I wanted to end with um, kind of bringing everything together with the same thought from Elder Holland, where he talks very much about the other prodigal. He talks about the other son. And you mentioned this a little bit, but in this, he brings it back to all of us. And that's the reason why I wanted to bring it back to all of us, because all of us experience loss in this life. All of us need to find the hope of the Savior. And he says, brothers and sisters, I testify that no one of us is less treasured or cherished of God than another. I testify that he loves each of us, insecurities, anxieties, self-image, and all. He doesn't measure our talents or our looks. He doesn't measure our professions or possessions. He cheers on every runner, calling out that the race is against sin, not against each other. I know that if we will be faithful, there is a perfectly tailored robe of righteousness ready and waiting for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is such a beautiful way to end because that's exactly what we've been talking about is how each one of us have that hope that we will have restored what we have lost and that all of it will be found through our Savior Jesus Christ. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.